what are we doing in the black community? The we number one consumer of a Mercedes Benz is us. Us. The number one consumer of a Gucci and a Louis Vuitton. Us. And they don't even advertise. Why is it that in the black community, we are always the number one consumer, but we're not the number one creators? So you just said it, the fact that there's consumers and creators for so long, we assume success based on consumption. Mm. Welcome back to Closing the Gap, the truth about black wealth. Of course, I'm your host, Mr. Wilbert Hamilton, uh, owner and founder of Hamilton Wealth Advisors. I'm here with a very special guest today, Ms. Shea Smith. Thank you, Shea, for being here. Um, today, we're going to jump into a little bit of background information um, regarding Ms. Shea and all the wonderful things she's involved in. This is a woman that wears many hats. Um, she's, she's a service provider to many different individuals and institutions. She's a mother, a daughter, a, a Spelmanite, an AKA, a CEO, um, business owner, real estate developer. So she, she wears many hats. Um, but she's not a jack of all trades and master of none. She has a specified skill set um, and educational background to actually match up uh, with her credentials. So uh, very pleased to have her today. And uh, just say thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's get into it, right? Um, who is Kashay Smith? <laughs> well, that's not a question I get asked often. But when I get a chance to talk about myself, I tell people, um, like you said, I'm a jack of all trades, but I try to master a few. Um, I am from a small town called Uniontown, Alabama in Perry County, Alabama. Um, country girl, but I, I consider myself a Southern Belle for several reasons. Um, taking care of people is something that is um, stitched in my fabric. <clears throat> and I think it kind of speaks to the work that I do in the community, the love of my people and making sure that they have the resources to take care of themselves and their families. Um, just a little background of my family. Um, my grandparents were educators and grandfather was um, a black farmer. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of my summers in Uniontown um, helping him deliver fruits and vegetables to those individuals in the community that were unable to get to a local store or come directly to his farmer's market. Um, I remember learning the town, feel like I was a part of the, the man that ran the town um, because of just all the great things that he used to do. Um, and just watching him help people, whether that's people in transition or people um, receive healthy, clean food um, through his farming efforts, it made me want to be a part of his legacy. And so I think with what I currently do now as the CEO of the Rural Health Medical Program, um, I get to lead out some of that um, great work that he was doing then. Well, that's amazing. Like I said, we, of course, here at you know, Closing Gap, we're firm believers that we would take care of people, people take care of you. So um, having a service heart is truly, you know, for me, at the the center of wealth creation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to give in order to receive, I believe. Um, do unto others, you have them do unto you. So definitely faith-based. Yes. Of course, um, we have those Southern roots, of course, when you grew up in the church as well. So, you know, those are all values that, of course, we need uh, to continue to pass down. And, you know, just from hearing a little bit about your background, it's obviously those same values were passed down through you. Absolutely. So now you've been given a great example of what it means to, you know, be a leader, be a servant of others, and you're continuing to push that message forward in your efforts, and also you're being blessed in your career path along the way. So that's always wonderful to hear. So, you know, tell me a little bit about how you can, how did you turn into a CEO? What made you want to go that direction? I know you were, of course, in college at Spelman. 
um, growing and developing at the wonderful institution there in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, one of our prestigious HBCUs, obviously. Um, you know, so what led the transition and the, the charge to Spelman and um, how you kind of got started from there? Sure. Um, I would definitely say that there are a lot of community moms and community aunts and that played a role in that. And I watched women from my FBLA teacher instilling um, what it meant to be a future business leader, um, participating in Toastmasters and organizations like that with the public speaking, um, professional development. I also contribute some of that hunger and need to be a leader in my community from other individuals um, that drew me to organizations such as Culturama, which is um, overseen by the um, women of AKA, and then also my guidance counselors, um, and of course my parents. Those individuals saw something in me that at the time I didn't understand, and they positioned me to pull and nurture those things so that one day I can become who I am. Now, my aunties, um, Renee and Rache, who are no longer living, um, they actually attended Spelman College um, back in their day. Okay. And I just remember growing up hearing the stories of um, them being on the campus and them finding themselves as young women in their paths, um, going off to college, specifically that one, and their history there. They had a legacy there as far as um, being two of the founding members of the chapter um, of okay. Alpha Kappa Alpha. So I just knew, I, again, I wanted to walk in these big shoes, legacy. Uh, a legacy ahead of me. And at the time I was the only granddaughter, only niece that got accepted to Spelman. So it was a big burden for me. So I knew that I had to get there, get my lesson. Um, I needed to make a name for myself. So joining organizations such as um, Young Professionals, the NAACP, um, the Alabama Club, and um, I was actually a Bonner Scholar, which is um, a foundation across the nation, and they focus on liberal arts schools and community um, community initiatives. So in college, I had to maintain a community initiative to maintain my scholarship. Oh, wow. So it's like my whole life has been around doing community development, community mission work, and me also knowing that as I was poured into, I had to pay it forward. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, one of the things that um, I hear um, from you and from a lot of our you know, kind of previous guests and things that I think lend to success are, you know, the way you were poured into, you know, by aunts, mothers, the community. So we truly had a village yes. that was helping to raise us. And, you know, I can relate to that. Um, my mom, mom put me into a lot of different uh, programs growing up, a lot of things that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but she forced <laughs> me into it. I was, people don't believe me, but I was very shy and probably withdrawing. I, I was very, very, just very much kind of just rather be seen and not heard. Want to sit mm -hmm. back in the back at church, not say anything or do anything. And my mom pushed me, okay. you know, she pushed me into those speaking roles. And, you know, I look back at it now and I'm grateful and thankful that she forced me out of my comfort zone Absolutely. because that was the only way I was going to be able to grow. And now that I sit in the seat that I do now, I'm forever grateful and thankful for those people that poured into me and not just my mom, but other people in the community that helped me grow and develop into being the person I am here. And we need that more in the community. Definitely needs us all to raise a village. Back at you. Welcome to Hamilton Wealth Advisors, where our goal is to change the financial landscape of the African American community by providing the best of the best in financial professionals to help close the gap on financial wellness, wealth creation, and wealth transference. We're continuing to expand and grow our reach and add qualified advisors to our team. Help us to teach our community how to create generational wealth. We're looking for passionate, selfless, and professional advisors 
They pride themselves in the core beliefs that education plus expertise leads to proper execution. So if you think this opportunity may be for you, ask yourself this question, what is your why? And if the answer is you want to be a professional successor advisor that makes a positive impact in the lives of all you come into contact with, contact us about joining our team today. As we look to move forward, continue to be a blessing to those who would never come into contact with by creating a successful financial plan today. Welcome back, Closing the Gap, The Truth About Black Wealth. Of course, I'm your host, Mr. Wilbur Hamilton. I'm here with CEO, Ms. Cachet Smith, and we're gonna kind of pick up where we left off. And of course, um, Cachet, you've been you know, wearing many hats. You were you know, obviously been in a situation where you were cultivated and uh, groomed, and also obviously through your own personal hard work and dedication, you continue to push yourself forward and challenge yourself. And you know, of course, at Spelman, being involved in many different activities, and of course, a member of AKA, and, and being a leader in your own right, um, and developing that skill set. So it's, it's, it's no shock to me now, kind of knowing some background, why you're a CEO yeah. um, of the Real Health Medical Program. Um, so tell me how that transition happened and kind of what led you into that um, in becoming a CEO, because that's not a job we just walk into right out of college. No, <laughs> I would definitely say it's not something I walked specifically into, but um, I will say, because we talked a little bit about faith, um, it's something that you are you're prepared for during your journey. Um, and right after college, well, during college, I had the opportunity of um, participating in an organization called En-ROADS. And it was basically for minority students to have summer internships at the Fortune 500 companies. <clears throat> I had the opportunity of working in the healthcare industry with United Healthcare, the limited brands and um, management. And then my last opportunity was with a company called Accenture. It was an IT consultant company and I actually got a job offer my senior year. So I was kind of like in, um, what do you call it? Cruise control senior year, just kind of <laughs> enjoying things, the fruits of my labor. And um, I walked out with a job and I was making, I want to say $58,000. And I was like, oh, I'm making more than my mom as a teacher with a master's. You know, and I was just like, I didn't take that lightly. Um, I had the opportunity to travel um, to different states, work across industries, and what I told myself was I wanted to develop a skill set that was transferable. So I was a change agent. I did communications, training, project management, and I wanted to take that and be able to create my own business and help minority-owned businesses establish themselves. So that was my goal while in that position. I remember um, I got married um, halfway into my career. Uh, after having my second child, there was no more packing up and traveling to a project. So um, I started networking and trying to navigate to the enterprise sector where I had the opportunity of being a um, HR director. I was located in the Houston office and um, I started doing a lot of community engagement work, getting back to my original roots, right? Because I was focused on making money and traveling and, and trying to get my own business going. But um, that job allowed me to watch young people come into the company, launch their careers. And it also gave me an opportunity to work with the senior partners to give back to the community. And one event specifically, it was an inner city school where we brought some children in to do like a, a day in the life um, as a um, change agent or a corporate um, workforce. And I remember watching these two young boys just look around and they were amazed at the office, the people in suits. And they said, man, I will never be able to be here. Mm. And that just kind of, it, it hit me and I was like, 
but they're inner city Houston. I'm small town country girl from Uniontown. Yes, you can. And I remember um, when we got together for lunch, I shared my story with them and I remember being in tears. And I said, I'm not operating in my calling. I was supposed to get prepared for where my next steps were gonna lead me. And after that meeting, sharing my story, um, they asked me to continue to come back and volunteer, which I did. Um, but I started going home after working, preparing to start my own nonprofit um, to help people in my community. Because what you realize is you're great everywhere else, but no one sees the effort because there's so many of yous in larger cities doing similar work. But if I come back home and do that work, I can impact so many of those children that were me go off and become great too. And if I'm the example of bringing that skill set and leadership back home, I can push my small town forward as well. Well, that's amazing. I mean, and it's kind of crazy because I mean, I tell people all the time, you can look at the stories in the Bible, you know, Jesus had to leave his hometown in order to go and get prepared to come back and help. Yes. So a lot of times, you know, we do have to step away right. and go through our journeys and to be cultivated and developed and groomed into who we need to be. So now when we come back home, we can be what we're supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, and now, of course, you know, being back home um, in the role that you're currently in now as CEO, what has probably been you know, one of your greatest joys for, you know, in coming home? I would definitely say one of the greatest has been um, doing the work that's needed. I've been seeing gaps. Like when you visit home, you see that, okay, hey, certain industries have not progressed. Certain um, <laughs> everyday resources and needs people have are not being met. So instead of being a person that's having a conversation about it, I get to be one of those people at the table strategizing, planning, and making it happen. So, um, a little bit about rural health. We are a primary healthcare um, organization. We receive federal federal funds and um, foundation funds, state funds, um, to basically provide healthcare services for individuals that are classified as indigent, um, under, and uninsured patients. We take care of those that are insured as well, but we want people who cannot afford to pay for healthcare to get the same access and receive the same treatment um, as those that do. So I get to have the opportunity to say, hey, when I get to use my Blue Cross Blue Shield card at whatever private practice that a person without it can come and get that same customer service, same feel, same care. And that has been the greatest joy for me, making sure that all people are treated fairly and equal regardless of their socioeconomic background. Let me say it better myself. Be back in a minute. What are we doing in the black community? The number one consumer of a Mercedes-Benz is us. Us. The number one consumer of a Gucci and a Louis Vuitton. Us. And they don't even advertise. Why is it that in the black community, we are always the number one consumer, but we're not the number one creators? So you just said it, the fact that there's consumers and creators for so long, we assume success based on consumption. Mm. Welcome back to Closing the Gap, the truth about black wealth. Of course, I'm your host, Mr. Wilbur Hamilton. Of course, I'm here today with Ms. Cachet Smith. <laughs> been having a wonderful conversation. She's been very enlightening, uplifting. I'm um, hoping you're getting as much out of this as I am. I'm always, you know, 
you know, blessed to be in the presence of people who are, you know, all about serving people, helping people, because um, I believe we're all truly blessed to be a blessing. Uh, and within that, Kashay, I mean, your role as, you know, leader and CEO of Rural Health, I mean, you get to see a lot of the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, a lot of disparagements between kind of haves and have nots and, you know, kind of, you know, we've all, of course, kind of coming out of pandemic, so to speak, of course, you know, with COVID. Um, tell me, what have you seen from your side of the table um, in regards to kind of the health disparity in our community? Sure. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is um, we haven't been prepared, whether you're in a metropolitan, urban or rural community. I think the way in which we govern the funds that are sent out to help communities in situations like this um, definitely have to improve. Um, we're very grateful for the funding that we receive. And I will say that the timing of programming that allowed for funds such as PPP or funding from um, Congress um, has definitely helped some of us stay in business, most of us actually. I would say that um, once we get it, it's, it's the organization piece that was hard. So from local government to um, county officials, to um, hospitals, urgent cares, primary healthcare organizations, we learned a big lesson this year that um, creating a systematic approach to how do we um, just offer primary health care in general and um, specialty care is something that we have to focus on moving forward because doing this during a pandemic, which none of us were prepared for, showed us so many gaps, how we're not communicating as individuals and what our communities need and which um, individuals in the community, you know, need access to certain care and, you know, et cetera. We, we did our best and I um, <laughs> I commend everyone involved that was on all the Zoom calls every day, all night, just trying to get to the next day, coordinating who had what vaccine, who could do what tests um, for the school systems, the housing authorities, for even local small businesses. We did our very best and there were a lot of lessons learned. Now that we have seen a downward turn in the COVID, um, variants that have come out, we're now trying to improve our internal processes of how do we keep our doors open even if an uptick happens again, which we know one is actually um, brewing. <laughs> but um, I think the people in the community, they get it. They get it now that when you see the news, you hear the officials advising you on getting vaccinated, on social distancing, on wearing your mask. People have been more receptive because they want to live. We've seen so much loss that people are now saying that I want to live. I want to be um, good agents of change in my community and I want to be responsible for living in, the, in my neighbor living too. So I think moving forward, even looking at the common cold, looking at the flu, looking at, you know, um, shingles, we're gonna look at it all the same. There are viruses, there are, you know, that we're all trying to prevent from turning into a pandemic. And we wanna do our parts at making sure that the right resources from an educational perspective down to preventative care is there in every community, regardless of the size. Yeah, and, and really what I hear from that is basically we want to start to be more proactive than reactive. Yes. Um, and, you know, a lot of us, of course, we think that a lot of things are kind of common sense, but we've learned, I think, common sense is not common in today's age and time. No, it's not. Um, a lot of things we think should be second nature and process that we think are in place, they aren't. And it's really because we just haven't experienced them. Right. So a lot of times, unfortunately, in, in business and personal life, and we've all experienced it to a various degrees, 
no one wants to address the situation until the situation happens. Right. And then we always want to, you know, you know, think about the best, but not plan for the worst. And, you know, my philosophy, you know, obviously as a financial advisor is I'm a person that believes in planning for the worst and then hoping for the best. Um, and it's what I tell my clients all the time because life is going to happen and none of us are immune to it. Yeah. So, you know, we like to think individually that, oh, this company's prepared, this the government's prepared, but in actuality, we've seen that we're not prepared. Right. So I think it's upon, you know, it's all of our, um, you know, obligation to do our very um, best to make sure that we're assisting and helping and not being a deterrent. Right. Um, you know, social media, I feel like it's played a, a huge part and a lot of the misinformation and, and and bad information that's been out there in regards to COVID and everything else. And um, I think that now, you know, going through this situation, I think the government's learned lessons, the local government, um, state government, of course, and obviously the healthcare providers. Yeah. I think we're all kind of learning that we need to be on the same accord and one accord. And I think we're headed in that direction. Obviously, I don't think we're there yet. Right. Um, a lot of it has to do with politics. So while I'm not big on politics and you're different messages from different sides, but I think we can all agree that um, there was definitely too much loss. Yes. Um, and I know you actually saw that from your position, you know, far more than I did. Um, but I think that, you know, because of individuals like yourself, you know, boots on the ground, you know, actually seeing what's going on, wanting to be an agent of change, being hands on. I think that's going to lead to greater change. And, you know, like I say, you know, we're blessed because you're trying to be a blessing to others. So, you know, the work that you're doing, helping the communities is helping someone like myself who may not be actually even going to that particular type of facility. Mm -hmm. The people I come in contact may be coming. And if they're going to get better care because you set up a facility where you can get the best health care to the least of us, yes. it automatically trickles up, trickles up and helps the best of us. Absolutely. Be back in a minute. Welcome to Hamilton Wealth Advisors, where our goal is to change the financial landscape of the African-American community by providing the best of the best in financial professionals to help close the gap on financial wellness, wealth creation, and wealth transference. We're continuing to expand and grow our reach and add qualified advisors to our team. Help us to teach our community how to create generational wealth. We're looking for passionate, selfless, and professional advisors that pride themselves in the core beliefs that education plus expertise leads to proper execution. So if you think this opportunity may be for you, ask yourself this question, what is your why? And if the answer is you wanna be a professional successor advisor that makes a positive impact in the lives of all you come into contact with, contact us about joining our team today. As we look to move forward, continue to be a blessing to those who would never come into contact with by creating a successful financial plan today. Welcome back to Closing the Gap, the truth about black wealth. Of course, I'm here picking back up where we left off with Ms. Kashay Smith. Um, Kashay, I want to jump into the life of a black female CEO. You know, I understand, you know, like I said, obviously I'm a black male and I, of course, have my own company and all that kind of good stuff. And I understand the challenges that I face mm -hmm. uh, and experiences that I've had, you know, in you know, dealing with corporate America and, you know, being a business owner and you know, all the challenges that kind of come with that. And, you know, the different personalities we have to deal with on a day to day basis from Absolutely. whether it be employees or, you know, constituents and whatnot, you know, but as a black woman, that's a totally different experience than what I have. Yes. Um, and <laughs> obviously, that's, you know, like I said, some people say that's a double negative. I see that's double positive, you're female and you're black. So I love both, <laughs> you know, but, you know, what has been your experience, you know, you know, positive and negative, you know, being a black female CEO and a lot of times being the only black woman in the room at a lot of these different, you know, functions that you're attending. Yes. So I would like to say the biggest, whether positive or negative, is managing expectations. Mm -hmm. um, coming in, in my 30s, 
female and black has been both intimidating to most um, and overwhelming for me because I feel like walking into a room where I'm the only person I can identify with um, asking for mentorship or asking for guidance may not be an option. Mm. So putting those three things aside and just going off intellect, experience and industry, um, I've had to learn how to navigate those waters. So um, back in 2016, um, I walked into the Alabama Primary Healthcare Resource Network and it was two black female CEOs at the time. Um, a year later, I became one, but there were other black males. And so mentorship was offered. Um, however, the age became a factor because some people may have felt like, how is she achieving this at this age? And again, going back to faith, it was not where I saw myself at all at this age, but grateful. Favor ain't fair, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, very grateful, very humble. My posture was humble, but also my posture was, I deserve to be here if I was placed here. Absolutely. So I'm not gonna shy off being someone who knew what they were talking about or was capable. So I had a lot to prove with my board, with my employees, everyone in which was um, just a little bit older than me or more seasoned in the field. So I had to take those change agent skills and figure out all the problems and opportunities for growth in this organization. What made me grind harder was it was home. So at the time, the organization was turning 40 and I wanted to be here another 40 years. And I wanna be a part of this organization's um, legacy and history of pushing it forward. So for me, walking into rooms and it was just me, I just developed this mindset of, and that's what it is. And I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna speak my piece, do my work, I'm gonna support the initiative at hand, and I'm not gonna see those things as black female CEO at this age as barriers. I'm gonna see it as an opportunity to change the game. Absolutely. So. So not just in the room, I'm the best in the room. Right. <laughs> well, absolutely. And like I said, I mean, I believe that, you know, what you give out is what you get back. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I believe I'm the best at, at my job in, in every way, shape, form, and fashion. Um, does that mean I'm the most analy analytically gifted in every area of finance? No. Um, but one thing I do tell people is that you can't care more than I do. Right. You know, I care about the people that I work with. And I think that's what separates, you know, the best Mm -hmm. from everyone else is that, you know, someone can maybe study a little bit more, be more gifted in one particular area. But what I can control is how much I care about the person that I'm working with. And for me, that's the differentiator. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people can do a job and have a skill set and can do it very well. But if they don't care yeah. as much as I do, Absolutely. they're not willing to go where I'm willing to go. They're not willing to put in the time, energy and effort that I'm willing to put in. And I feel like that's what separates, you know, you know, the best, um, like I say, from everyone else. And I mean, and you being a change agent and you being a service first person and you put in the organization before yourself, right. you know, that speaks to the success that the organization has had while you've been there. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to toot your horn a little bit, but did a little background <laughs> research on you. And I'm going to let you kind of shine a little bit. Um, you know, and can you talk to us a little bit about the growth that, you've been able to provide um, for rural health under your leadership. Absolutely. <laughs> 
So when I joined, um, and I actually turned six this year, um, this month actually, Rural Health was about four, four and a half, I'm gonna say, because it was a brand new clinic when I got there. And now we've grown to nine clinics. We're in two new counties and we have two mobile units. Um, where we went from seeing about 48 to maybe 5,000 patients, we're upward of 8,200, mm. um, even during a pandemic. Absolutely. Um, as far as funding, we went from an organization receiving only about 3.2 million from the um, federal government um, to now operating with grant funds of upward of 10 to 12 million dollars. In addition to now <clears throat> having a true revenue from insured and unsured patients of over um, two million dollars. So when you put that together, you you see an organization that grew from having um, the minimum coverage as far as who you are and what you do to not seeing as many um, people across four counties to now six counties and you're reaching more people. Um, not only that, we grew from having about 30 employees to now almost 80 employees, including contractors. So the organization has almost doubled in size, doubled or Tripled. Tripled in revenue, <laughs> um, definitely doubled in staffing, and we're just getting started. So my, my encouragement to anyone that wants to walk and operate in this is it takes time, it takes passion, and you have to be willing to do what others are not to press this vision forward in your community. Being successful is doing what others are not willing to do. She's a true example. Back at you in a minute. What are we doing in the black community? The number one consumer of a Mercedes-Benz is us. Us. The number one consumer of a Gucci and a Louis Vuitton, us. And they don't even advertise. Why is it that in the black community, we are always the number one consumer, but we're not the number one creators? So you just said it, the fact that there's consumers and creators for so long, we assume success based on consumption. Mm. Welcome back to Closing the Gap, the truth about black wealth. Of course, I've been here having a wonderful time, uh, getting great information and getting blessed with a lot of information from this CEO, Miss um, Cachet Smith. Uh, we're going to just kind of jump back into it, man. And we've been hearing about a lot of the wonderful works that she's been doing at Rural Health uh, Medical um, and, you know, kind of where she's taking the organization, doubling in size, tripling in revenue, uh, doubling in jobs provided. So she's truly been a blessing, um, you know, to the entire community and organization because she's, you know, treating more patients and employing more people. So uh, those things that our economy desperately needs right now. Um, it's actually obviously desperately needed across the, the Black Belt area of Alabama. And she's actually a leader and a change agent in doing so. You know, so with all that being said, you know, we kind of what are your goals and aspirations? Um, and where do you feel like you can take rural health? Sure. Well, that's a question I ask myself every day. And a few areas that I, I definitely see the organization growing in is location. So growing our footprint. There are so many surrounding counties that do not have the same uh, facility and services being offered. So I think building those relationships and networks within um, counties like Butler or Washington, the surrounding counties around where we are currently serving our patients, working with the community and understanding what services are needed and seeing how can we come in over the next, let's say, three to five years and play that role. 
to get that type of information and engagement, I want to use those mobile units that I talked about um, and providing some some health fairs or some testing or vaccines or screenings just to kind of assess the health of the community. <clears throat> the other thing I would definitely say is becoming a teaching health center. So there's funding with the federal government as well and in allowing organizations such as rural health to run like a um, a program where residents, the, the medical providers can come in and do their rural rotations. And it gives them an opportunity to outfit the program and services in these rural communities to, to eventually fall in love and providing those same services and care um, into areas that need it the most. And nine times out of 10, you get some good um, providers, nurse practitioners, physician assistants that want to stay in those areas and provide services. Um, the, the other thing I would definitely say is making sure that we're giving opportunities to individuals locally um, to be employed in that area, whether it's in administration and management, communication, outreach and engagement, because in these communities, you don't see those type of jobs. You don't see that type of income. Yeah. So um, just being a... a an organization that pushes people forward um, financially and growing them in careers. Um, the last thing I would definitely say is getting more leaders, more advocates on the board to assist us with the buy-in of our services. You know, it is not just me as a CEO um, winning communities over or patients. It's it's the board, it's the staff, um, it's the marketing, it's the patient education. And I think one of the most successful parts of any nonprofit is the board. So getting other people that are willing to go out there and be those advocates and those change agents of believe in the services, believe in um, the care that we're providing is going to be essential. Well, absolutely. Like I said, I mean, she's been truly a blessing, not just to herself, but to many others, you know, in her community and surrounding areas. And you know, we need more change agents yes. and people with service heart. I mean, like I say, at the true center of every successful person I've ever talked to mm -hmm. um, is someone who wanted to serve. Yeah. I mean, because you believe when you, you take care of people and they take care of you. And sometimes people can miss that, especially in business. They can become so self-centered, mm -hmm. especially in the world we live in today. Everything is so me, 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 I, I, I. And everybody wants to, they want to get the bag. They want yeah, the money. They, they want the yeah. car. They want the lifestyle. <laughs> they don't want everything that comes with it, but they don't understand. In order to get that and sustain it, yes, that comes from someone who's willing to give more than someone else. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, if I'm willing to give, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. Absolutely. And if the better I am at giving, the more I will receive. But sometimes people just kind of miss that and becoming so self-centered and self-absorbed in their own dreams, goals and aspirations that they forget that, you know, God uses people to bless you. Mm -hmm. So if you put your efforts and energy into being a blessing to others, the people around you will see that and now they can become a blessing to you. And these are lessons that I think all of us have learned. I mean, I've learned along the way, mm -hmm. been able to see and been a witness to it. And, you know, I'm truly grateful for the lessons I've learned. I'm truly grateful for the people that I've come into contact, such as yourself, that, you know, inspire and motivate me to want to continue to go. Because we all, you know, have those days we wake <laughs> up and, you know, we're not feeling our best. Yes. Um, and, you know, we've had, you know, good days and bad days. And, you know, but the key is to get up and continue to move on in, in an everyday fashion you know, understanding because I have a passion right. to help people. And your, and your passion allows you to get up and keep moving forward, 
even when you don't feel like it after those bad days. And, you know, I'm just grateful that they have, you know, people such as yourself in the community, you know, continue to push forward through the good days and the bad days because you want to be a blessing to others and you're not just in it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I am going to ask a selfish question. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, where does Cachet want to be? You know, what is Cachet's overall goal and dream um, from a career standpoint? Sure. Again, that's one of those questions that hit me every day because in my position, I do have the freedom to continue to grow and blossom. Um, but I ask myself, where can I be more impactful? Where can I, my skill set truly improve the entire community? And I will say um, today, I am very happy where I am and I'm going to be guided down the path that I'm supposed to be on. So the more people I can help, um, and pushing and improving their lives. And the more I can do in the communities, um, that's where I'm going to be. So I have the opportunity of also serving on quite a few boards. Mm -hmm. So with the Women's Foundation, of, um, it's now Greater Alabama. I sit on a committee there where I'm able to talk about policy form, opportunities for working moms <clears throat> and women in leadership. So right now that's kind of um, feeding my need to be about women empowerment. I have the opportunity of sitting on the YMCA board in Selma. So health and fitness, wellness for all families. That's also keeping me grounded and focused to make sure that my patients also have that same access um, there at the gym. I was recently um, asked to be on the Chamber of Commerce. So a little bit about my background. Um, my major was economics and business management at Spelman. So now I have the opportunity of understanding the growth and potential of Dallas County, specifically Selma. So my hands are in different areas where I can continue to grow my knowledge, share that knowledge with my community and, and use some of those skills to then um, go out and help the people that look like me. So outside of rural health, I have um, my own consultancy. It's called Prestige Consultancy. And maybe once a quarter, twice a quarter, I'll take a, a minority-owned business. And I only deal with minority-owned businesses, by the way. That's my prerogative. <laughs> um, and I want to help someone realize their true, um, true potential um, in the skill sets and services they want to provide. So walking them through business startup, setting up their articles of incorporation or if a board or if um, a group of trustees that are going to be a part of this business or this service in the community and walk them through business strategies, planning, marketing and launching their business. Um, the goal will be if I get enough people to believe in that goal, that they need to be a legitimate business, then I would also invest in providing some type of virtual business support um, services as well, and eventually investing in buildings in these rural communities for those businesses to go plug into. Yeah. So turning a rural community into a urban type feel business area as well, like a resource center. So those businesses can continue to stay in business and be legitimate businesses and have um, the support that a Hamilton Wealth organization would have um, per se. So that's what I see myself doing, continuing to be in my community and making big business happen in small communities. I'm calling it right now. Black Wall Street of the Black Belt coming soon. Back at you in a minute. <laughs> Welcome to Hamilton Wealth Advisors, where our goal is to change the financial landscape of the African-American community by providing the best of the best in financial professionals to help close the gap on financial wellness, 
wealth creation, and wealth transference. We're continuing to expand and grow our reach and add qualified advisors to our team. Help us to teach our community how to create generational wealth. We're looking for passionate, selfless, and professional advisors that pride themselves in the core beliefs that education plus expertise leads to proper execution. So if you think this opportunity may be for you, ask yourself this question, what is your why? And if the answer is you want to be a professional successor advisor that makes a positive impact in the lives of all you come into contact with, contact us about joining our team today. As we look to move forward, continue to be a blessing to those who would never come into contact with by creating a successful financial plan today. Welcome back to Closing the Gap, The Truth About Black Wealth. Of course, I'm here with an, another amazing episode. Uh, following back up with Ms. Kashay Smith, she's been a pleasure and joy today. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things where she wants to go professionally and personally and all the wonderful things she's doing in the community. But, you know, there's something that we've all kind of seen that's been, that's been uh, kind of happened the other night. Um, you know, we've, we've witnessed um, the unexpected um, <laughs> situation between you know, Will Smith, Chris Rock. And, you know, I'm always curious, you know, as a man, you know, getting the female perspective, because I definitely have an opinion on the situation um, and how I think the situation could have been handled or should have been handled, in my opinion. But I'm always curious to hear, you know, from a female perspective, you know, what did you see? Because obviously we can have different perspectives and different outlooks. Sure. So in seeing the clips and reading the articles, um, I saw people speculate how Jada must have felt, how Will should have reacted or should not have reacted. And if I were in her position, I would not think just as, oh, I want my husband to, de to f defend me. I think about we're leaders in our community. People look up to us. We take care and mentor people. Um, how should we be setting the example? And in that moment, things that black women can't be are feminine. They can't be soft. They cannot be or what people have told us because as black women, we're supposed to be these strong, um, independent women. She was a woman. But as a female leader, you think I want my husband to go home with me. I want my husband to fit to defend me when it matters the most. And that's off scene, not live in front of everyone, showing them the example not to be. Because as a people, we're always angry, <clears throat> we're always violent, and that's what was portrayed, and we know that's not him, that's not her. Um, and that's not what we wanna support as a model of a black family. We wanna show that we're intellectual, that we do not allow people to provoke us. Um, and when one of us steps out of line, we should know how to step in line outside of the media and handle that appropriately. Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad to hear that <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, when I saw it, I was just like, we'll play yourself. You know, he allowed, and he said, you know, the devil tempts you in your greatest moments yeah. and it can cause your greatest falls. And in his greatest moment, which was supposedly winning the Oscar, so to speak, you know, winning this award and accolade, and he allowed the devil to play on his emotions. Yeah. Unfortunately, the devil was the one sitting next to him <laughs> because she provoked him. You know, and, and my take it when I when I you know looking at the episode and the clips and everything, and you know his initial reaction I think was everybody's when they heard the joke. Everybody started laughing, and so did he. He was laughing, and it wasn't until he looked at her, and she gave him that look like, "Oh, that's what we're doing." 
And I feel like that's what caused him to react. So, you know, as a man, I do believe it's our responsibility to protect, provide, profit, and priest over our home. Those are things I think that we should do. So I have no problem with him slapping Chris Rock. It was the way he went about handling it that I had the issue with. You know, in my opinion, if that was his initial reaction to protect his wife right off the bat as soon as mm -hmm. he heard the joke, I have no problem with it. Yeah. But it was because she provoked him. Chris didn't provoke him. Because his initial reaction was to laugh at Chris's joke like everybody else did. <clears throat> he looked at her and then she provoked him to go and act out based on their relationship. And he stepped out of character in that moment and did something that obviously that he would regret moments later. You know, so for me, I felt like, OK, you allowed yourself to be played once again, but you got played not by Chris but actually by your wife. So when the Bible says you need to be equally yoked mm -hmm. and I'm a firm believer that a man should be the head of the household, that doesn't mean that you should be a dictator. That doesn't mean that you're a tyrant and you lead with an iron fist. That means that, of course, it's nothing wrong. Your wife should definitely have a voice, but she shouldn't provoke you to do something out of character. If he would have, his initial reaction would have been to go and attack Chris, I have no problem with it. But I believe he should have stepped to Chris as a man, either... After that segment or even during that segment, say, look here, bro. My wife is dealing with a situation. Mm -hmm. I don't appreciate the joke that just came towards her. I would appreciate if you could give us an apology right now or give her a private apology later. It's your choice. Now, if Chris Rock comes back at him, at him disrespectfully, mm -hmm. then all bets off and then you do whatever you got to do as a man to protect your wife and your family. But I believe they could have had a conversation and Chris would have said, and looking at the way Chris handled the situation, I believe he would have said, you know what? My bad, no problem. I didn't know it was going to be taken that way. And you could have given him a chance to apologize and we could have both been bigger people in that moment. But he took that away. And it took the attention away from everything that black people were doing that night. Mm -hmm. Will Packer, all black crew, first time <clears> ever. <throat> Will Smith received an Oscar. Denzel giving Samuel L. Jackson. None of that is, is talked about now right. because of one incident that you spoke about. And of course, how they like to portray us as mm -hmm. the angry black men. And we perpetuated the stereotype in that moment. Yeah. Well, one thing I would like to say, I, I wouldn't call Jada per se the devil, but I, I do think... <laughs> Like like I said, um, as black women, we don't get to be feminine. We don't get all the time in relationships to be that person in the relationship, to be vulnerable, to be feminine, to need that. Mm -hmm. And so her look could have meant several things. What that look meant, I have no idea <laughs> why he chose to react to that the way he did. Again, not sure. Because no one should ever make you act out of character. But what I will say is, um, if I were in her position and it triggered something in me, when I saw my husband stand, I would have grabbed him and I would have said, baby, we'll do this another no way. We'll deal, it, deal with this another way. If anything, I would have wanted him to comfort me, not embarrass us. Well, so. absolutely. And, and, and you said that kind of perfectly. And, and I agree with that. And, you know, not that she was the devil. Yeah. But... The devil using her right. in that moment to provoke him. Yeah. And I think, you know, if anything, I feel like that situation really exacerbated the disconnect that they have because <laughs> you should know your spouse better than anybody else. Right. If someone is, is telling a joke 
about my wife. I know my wife's my wife's weak points. I know what she's secure and insecure about. Or at least I should know that I would think if I'm mm-hmm. laying down next to her every night. So if someone says something to her, I don't need to look at her to know how she's going to react right. about the you statement that's made. You feel the glare. Made. You feel I can, it. <laughs> I don't, it's, well, there's not even a time for the glare. Yeah. Because if someone says something disrespectful to my wife, I don't need to look at my wife because I already know how my wife feels about that subject. Mm-hmm. I'm going to address that, that gentleman right there in that moment. Yeah. I don't need the opportunity to look at her for her to give me the look that I need to move. Well, your first responsibility as a man is protect and provide. Right. Well, you should already know when your knife, when your wife needs protection and she doesn't have to ask you to provide. Those are things that right. you naturally are supposed to do as a man. So I think in his in the I think he really just gave us a bigger look into the relationship. If we take a step back into how she's made him react, being the dominant figure in their household, in their family. I think from a personality standpoint, we all can see Will's a nice, fun-loving, good mm-hmm. guy. I think we all kind of can kind of see that about him. Jada, obviously, through just kind of their public relationship that they've had, you know, you can kind of tell she's much more authoritative mm-hmm. within that relationship based on their dynamics. And I think that is really the disconnect and what leads to more issues mm-hmm. is because she's leading and he's following. Versus, for me, from a biblical perspective, the man should be the head. That doesn't mean that he's that the woman that's next to him should be just subservient. Mm-hmm. But that means that we're supposed to be the ones not operating out of emotion. Right. Women were wired to be emotional. That's just the way women are wired. That's that's the way God created us. So men, we have the capability more so than women. Not saying that some women don't, because some women do. Mm-hmm. But for the majority of men. We were given the ability to separate our emotions and our actions. Mm -hmm. We're able to act without emotion. In their relationship, we've seen him react too many times based on emotion. Mm -hmm. And she's been the cause of a lot of his reactions. See you next time. (laughs)